Hello and welcome to the BICOM podcast. I'm Samuel Nerding, the Research Associate at BICOM. Today's episode features Professor Jonathan Reinhold, the Deputy Head of the Department of Political Studies at Bar Ilan University in Israel. On Thursday the 9th of September, BICOM hosted a webinar with Professor Reinhold to discuss the future of American leadership following its withdrawal from Afghanistan, specifically whether the American era is over in global politics and in the Middle East in particular, or whether the basic coordinates of US leadership will remain in place. His opening remarks follow. Good afternoon to you all. It's nice to be with you. As you can hear, my uh, British accent hasn't disappeared despite living in Israel for over 20 years, so I think you should be able to understand me. Um, My broad headline is America is not leaving the Middle East. Um, and that Afghanistan is not a precedent for the rest of the Middle East. Having said that, it raises certain issues uh, that will color the nature of America's involvement with the Middle East. So it's obvious to everybody that the American withdrawal, particularly the way it has happened, will embolden Islamist groups throughout the Middle East. We already know that Hamas congratulated the Taliban on their victory. But for states uh, like China and Iran, it's a double-edged sword. Because on the one hand, uh, seeing an American defeat is good for them. Um, On the other hand, they will be concerned about what the US will do with the resources that are freed up will they turn inward or will they pivot to Asia and deploy their forces in a more rational way that is actually more challenging to uh, China and Iran and better at protecting America's core interests. So why does Afghanistan not mean that the US is leaving the Middle East? Well, first of all, Afghanistan was not an American core strategic interest. Yes, America wanted to rid Afghanistan of ISIS bases and before that of Al-Qaeda, and that it more or less did. Secondly, it sought to engage in state building and build um, the foundations for democracy. Um, But the bottom line is that democracy in Afghanistan is not a vital American interest. And America has cheaper and easier ways to deter international terrorism uh, coming out of Afghanistan than directly controlling the territory. It is much easier to have a strategy of denying the Taliban a comfortable life and easy control than it is to control the country yourself. And in that way, I suspect the US uh, will seek to deter um, international terrorism coming out of Afghanistan. Now, when Biden left um, Afghanistan, he set three factors that would have to be in place if the US was to wait and not withdraw and wait until uh, conditions there were improved and that the government would more likely survive. 
And first of all, he had to believe it was practically achievable in a reasonable time and at an affordable cost. And rightly or wrongly, uh, probably rightly, after 20 years, um, the administration decided that it was not practically achievable in a reasonable period at an affordable cross, uh, cost. So it's been costing the Americans about 40 billion a year over the last five years, that's 200 billion to keep its forces in Afghanistan. Uh, civilian casualties among Afghans have been around 3,000, perhaps down to a little over 2,000 in the last year or two with six to 7,000 injured. Um, given the weakness of the central government, given the corruption, given the fact that neither the cost is going down and civilian casualties weren't really going down, the administration decided it was leaving. Obviously, uh, the moral cost of this is immense. Um, the pictures of America leaving in the way that it led, left will damage its deterrence and damage its prestige. But I don't think it applies to the Middle East as a whole because the Middle East as a whole, there America does have vital interests at stake. Um, oil, not the price, but the flow of oil and who controls the oil is a vital interest of America. It is possible for the US to protect those and it is affordable in blood and treasure, particularly if you have reliable allies. Just to give you a sense of it, if it costs the US 40 billion a year to keep its troops in Afghanistan, it costs them less than a tenth of that in aid um, to support Israel, which uh, is degrading Iran's nuclear capabilities and Iran's missile capabilities in the region, both goals that the United States uh, shares. What we can say is the US is going to be less assertive militarily on a grand scale than it has been in the last 20 years. And it is going to demand that its allies do more. The allies have to do the fighting. Israelis do the fighting, America's happy to support. The Kurds do the fighting, America's happy to support. So long as they can stand on their own, America's happy to help. What it doesn't want to do is do the fighting for its allies. So if it's peacekeeping in the Sinai, yeah, Trump may have wanted to withdraw the multinational uh, force that's primarily American, but Biden's happy for it to be there because they're really, they're not being fired upon. They're just there to help maintain the trust between Egypt and Israel. But equally, I wouldn't expect an America, uh, America to put an international force or a, a primarily American force on the Lebanese border with Israel, or if there was a Palestinian state between a Palestinian state and Israel, because those are places where American troops are going to be fired upon and where um, they would have to maintain their presence over a long period where, uh, of armed resistance. And, and, and it would be unlikely that the public uh, and the, uh, the American forces would just be willing to do that. Um, having said that, 
I don't, like I said, I don't think America's leaving. It's still, even when it withdrew all its forces from Afghanistan, uh, it still has over 40,000 military personnel in the Middle East, many naval bases, many air bases, uh, and uh, naval deployments in the Gulf. Um, it's not under great financial pressure in terms of the defense budget, uh, which is pretty much the lowest it's been since Pearl Harbor. What about interests? Well, America, contrary to perceptions, has never been reliant on Middle Eastern oil. America's interest in Middle Eastern oil came from the fact that Europe and Japan, its allies in the Cold War, were dependent, and therefore to allow the Soviets or its allies or a force hostile to the US to control a dominant share of oil would give that enemy great military power, because it would have great financial power, and great political power to pressure America's allies to be to cease to be American allies, to be more neutral, and therefore shift balance of power, perhaps globally, certainly regionally. Since the world economy is likely to be dependent on oil until at least 2050, if not 2070, and since half of the oil reserves in the world are still in the Middle East, and it accounts for a third of production, it's still important to prevent, for America to prevent a hostile force controlling a dominant share of oil in the Middle East, particularly as it's the Far East which is primarily dependent on Middle Eastern oil, not so much Europe. And America does between a quarter and a third of its uh, trade, a quarter and a third of its GDP is made up of trade with Asia. And China uh, gets about half of its uh, oil from the Middle East. And so when the United States talks about pivoting to Asia, um, it's very important that it doesn't allow China to gain control over Middle Eastern oil resources by buying up and investing in local economies and therefore gaining leverage over them um, because that would give China leverage over America's allies in the Middle East and shift the balance of power, sorry, America's allies in the Far East and shift the balance of power in the Far East. Moreover, the fact that the American Navy dominates the area between the Gulf and the Straits of Malacca in Malaysia, which is the route that energy takes from the Middle East to the Far East, means that the Chinese need to think twice before they take any major aggressive actions in the Far East. Because if they were perhaps to seek to invade Taiwan, then America might cut those resources coming from the Middle East. So I think that the Americans still have a major interest um, here in the Middle East and in staying here where they have a clear dominance and it's much harder for China to erode American power than it is in the Far East where China is, as it were, playing at home. And the whole, uh, so I think also that despite the fact that the American public is uh, less willing to engage uh, in a forward internationalist foreign policy, and despite 
the increasing voice of more, um, if not isolationists, then certainly moving in that direction, less internationalists, significantly less internationalist voices in Washington, such as the Quincy Institute, which gathers around it a mix of progressive the left and libertarians and some Trumpists on the right who want America to have a smaller role and not not be so uh, tied to allies. Nonetheless, the one consensual item in the US is to constrain and contain China. And therefore, there is a basis for thinking that an American role in the Middle East will continue. Um, it, it will be less forceful than under Trump and more skeptical of the possibility of the transformative effects of international trade and international organizations, the so-called liberal international order than Obama. I think it's telling that the Biden administration talks about the free world, a Cold War term, and not the liberal international order. Um, I think that for the American Navy, CENCOM, the American command in the Middle East, their whole raison d'etre is to protect freedom of navigation in the Gulf. The fact that Iran has, has attacked uh, navigation in the Gulf is, it is in doing so attacking the most consensual uh, interest as understood in America. Um, and you can see by the pressure that the US is putting on Israel and the UAE regarding their relations with China that they take seriously the idea that China could leverage um, commercial investments um, and technology and infrastructure projects in these countries to its strategic advantage and to America's strategic detriment. I think it's important to recognize that what happened between 2001 and say 2015-16 was the exception. America prefers to work with allies. It's cheaper in blood and it's cheaper in treasure. And it's only when yeah, those allies proved incapable that America steps in. The Truman Doctrine regarding Greece and Turkey was because Britain couldn't stand up for them. The Eisenhower Doctrine in 1957 was because there was nobody else to prevent pro-Soviet Nasserite forces in Jordan and in Lebanon shifting the balance of power. The Carter Doctrine in 1979 about American role in the Gulf is because Iran ceased to be an ally. The exception is really is, is Bush, the Bush doctrine after 9-11, the democratization of the whole region by America itself. So I don't think the fact that the US is in a partial withdrawal, a retrenchment, a recalibration, means it's leaving. Um, the Nixon doctrine in, in, in 1969 basically said America will not fight uh, with, its, with ground troops in Asia. And instead, it's going to rely on allies. And you see aid to Saudi Arabia, arms sales to Saudi Arabia, aid to Israel, aid to Jordan, um, and uh, aid to Iran and arms sales to Iran massively growing then. 
So I think that that is probably more likely to color the future than a complete American withdrawal. The issue is, and this is, this is the difference, is it's questionable as to how militarily assertive the Americans are going to be. Um, they could, and probably in my opinion should, adopt a policy where they are assertive in small but significant doses. In other words, instead of invading countries, you uh, damage and attack assets of your enemies to deter them and to make them aware that there is a price without seeking to control whole countries. Um, the problem for the US in certain places in the Middle East, particularly Syria, is that while I don't think the Biden administration wants to remove its 900 troops from Syria, which protect uh, the Kurdish oil fields and some of the rebels on the Jordanian border, if American troops, even the, the non-combat troops that remain in Iraq, about two and a half thousand, if they were to leave, it would be difficult to supply those American forces in Syria. And if that happened, there would be a question mark over their continued existence in Syria, despite the fact that they do have allies in Syria, in the Kurds and in the rebels, who are willing and are able to fight. And that is why the Americans have stayed there until now. Um, they, to, to remove American troops from Iraq, Syria would have a major effect on the balance of power in the region. But at least in principle, the administration has said it wants to contain Iranian power in the region. And this would be an example of that. So I think uh, seeing what happens in Syria will be a, uh, a good guide to the future. As regards Iran, um, I think the question that Israel is asking itself is, while it is good that um, the administration said they want to stop Iran getting nuclear weapons full stop, not just on during their own administration, and that opens a door for Israel to say, okay, well, let's plan for that eventuality. How, if there is no return to the agreement, can we ensure that? Um, on the other hand, there's a difference between nuclear weapons and a nuclear capability. And here there's a difference between what Israel wants, which is to prevent Iran becoming a state that can assemble a nuclear weapon in very short order, which would require it, uh, Israel would want to stop it having the ability to test a nuclear device, for example. It's not clear that the Americans think the same thing. Though I think that while Israel doesn't believe that Ameri this administration at least would attack Iran to prevent it going nuclear, uh, I think that the agenda is how would they support Israel if Israel felt the need to do that? I wonder if I can start perhaps by asking you a more abstract question. And it's about the framing that um, US presidents have 
termed, and it's forever wars, the forever wars that have happened in Iraq and Afghanistan. My question is, it's been 20 years since US has, has been involved in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. If 20 years had been the definition of forever during the Cold War, wouldn't the West have already lost? So is there not just a question of political will around the kind of this, this issue as well? Yeah, so I, I think that political will comes with the distinction between vital interests and other interests or ideological objectives. When America withdrew more than half a million troops, and it never had half a million troops in Afghanistan, it had about 150,000, I think, at the peak, maybe a little bit more, okay? It didn't mean America was giving up on the Cold War. The opposite, by withdrawing from Vietnam, America was able to recalibrate its resources in a more rational way and succeed in winning the Cold War. So the question is really is do American elites understand and believe that containing China in the Middle East, containing Iran in the Middle East is a vital interest or not? Now there are those that believe it isn't on the left of the Democratic Party and within the more libertarian Trumpists in the Republican Party. But um, I don't think it's right to say that it's purely a question of will, that you can compare the will to protect the Gulf with the will to protect um, Afghanistan. The will to bring democracy to a country, which is obviously desirable and positive, and the will to protect a vital interest, which may lead to an attack on your own country or making your own defences vulnerable or crashing your or the global economy. It's not the same thing.